Welcome to the OIS Podcast, where you get candid conversations with the leaders and drivers of ophthalmic innovation. And now, here's our host, Tom Salemi. Hey, everybody. Tom Salemi here. Welcome back. This is the OIS Podcast. It's great to have you here, and it's great to have our guest back, David Muller. He's now the CEO of Alatex. We've had him on the podcast previously when he was with Avidro. In fact, the last time he was on the podcast was when he was leaving Avidro to start this new venture. So this is a great opportunity. That was two years ago, hard to believe. And uh, in those in that time, uh, David's been busy and Alatex has been busy. They recently raised some money, and we'll try to get some details out of David about the uh, the backers. And they're starting clinical trials for their uh, corneal allografts in Europe. So there's a lot going on in Alatex. We'll get into that in this conversation with David. Before I start that, though, I did want to remind you that OIS at ASCRS is happening on April 12th in Washington, D.C. Please go to ois.net. We'll be set up there doing our interviews. You can come by and say hello, but only if you register. So go to ois.net to sign up for OIS at ASCRS. Again, it's happening on April 12th in Washington, D.C. Now let's get into this conversation with David Muller. David Muller, welcome back to the OIS podcast. Hi, Tom. Thanks. Happy to be back. Uh, this may be the first time we've had a guest back uh, in a new role with a new company, and the company is Alatex, and you had some uh, some great news recently. And uh, you're in a space that's uh, that's seen some some changes over the last couple of weeks or month, last, the past month or so. First, I want to get into uh, to where you are and what you're doing. Can you uh, tell us a bit about uh, a bit about Alatex? Sure. Uh, I got the idea for Alatex probably almost uh, four years ago or so. Uh, it was just one of those ideas that uh, I would say popped into mind uh, when I was thinking about doing some uh, various things with crosslinking, and I, I don't recall exactly how it came up, but what dawned on me, I was watching the uh, watching the market evolve for the various corneal inlays, and the uh, biocompatibility biocompatibility issue of Anything in the cornea has always been uh, has always been a real problem. You know, looking back, you know, way back to the uh, Cara rings or the the rings that were inserted for keratoconus, and you know, the light bulb came on and said, "Gee, you know, if you look at what's gone on for uh, for the use of allograft inlays, you know, really started with Barricade back in 1949, and there were several attempts to uh, make an allograft inlay, and mostly they." They uh, fell on their face because of uh, accuracy problems, but never any safety issues or safety problems. And, you know, again, the light bulb came on and said, gee, you know, look at all this new technology that exists in 2015 that didn't exist in 1949. I think, you know, fundamentally, you can look at two things, eczema lasers and uh, OCT, that all of a sudden we have abilities to make precision pieces of tissue and be able to measure them with incredibly high precision. And so, you know, if the synthetic inlays were having optical success, then an allograft inlay of similar shapes and similar concepts without the biocompatibility issue overhang could be a real success. And that was the that was really the thought that got the you know got the 
ball rolling in my own uh, in my own mind about you know building a company around that. Is biocompatibility only an issue in the cornea as opposed to other parts of the eye, or is it the entire eye? Well, I, I think you know biocompatibility is uh, is certainly an issue in the cornea. I mean, as we clearly we know that um, you know you, the uh, IOLs uh, survive biocompatibility just fine. It's, it's in a different part of the eye. But I, th- I think when you think about what the cornea is, the, the you know the peculiar part of the, about the cornea obviously is that it is completely avascular, and it requires a you know a certain amount of flow of uh, oxygen and uh, nutrition, you know going north to south essentially in the cornea. But also I think it's, it's often easy to forget how thin and small the cornea is, and if you look at historically you know really over all time, there hasn't been anything that's really been able to be placed in the cornea and have it, you know, really preserve, you know, be, remain pristine over long periods of time. So it's, uh, it is, it is a real uh, problem. But, you know, the other interesting thing about it is that um, unlike most allograft implants um, that are in, you know, other parts of the body, um, at, the cornea is a, uh, is a um, privileged site. So that it doesn't mind, you know, there's no type matching required between uh, donor and recipient. So any donor, any donor, is uh, equally good for any recipient. So it makes it a very unique spot uh, for the for the use of allografts. And what uh, type of vision uh, disorders are, are you able to correct with uh, with your uh, your inlay? Well, I think I think ultimately we could probably correct all disorders. That uh, I mean, we're doing both inlays and onlays again, which is something that you know can't generally be can't be done with uh, any uh, synthetic. And so, in principle, you could do uh, myopia, hyperopia, and presbyopia. Uh, but we're we're focusing on now, and in our initial studies are presbyopia, both as an onlay and an inlay, and hyperopia as an inlay. Mm-hmm. And, and what is it that your uh, special sauce, so to speak. I mean, you, you've got the, your, your product is a transformed corneal allograft, you're getting the materials from donors. What is it you do in between that and, uh, and the implantation? Well, again, these are, I think it's one of the things to keep in mind is that uh, uh, these are special corneas that they're uh, E-beam sterilized and have uh, potential shelf life up to two years at room temperature. So that's one of the, that's one of the barriers that technology is overcome so that we don't have to worry about dealing with fresh tissue. So we basically get a uh, sterilized cornea, and then we take that and uh, uh, use an eczema laser to take small pieces of that and reshape those pieces into real really micro lenses. So, you know, for presbyopia, we're talking about something that's, you know, several millimeters in diameter and, uh, 25 microns thick or so. So it's a, it's more of a, if you actually see one of these in real life, the first trick is to see it because they're almost more of a thought than a, than an actual object. So there's really nothing to them. It's kind of interesting. <laughs> and are you uh, creating the, the, uh, the implant or is that done? Do, do you send the, the raw material to the physician in the box that can be stay on the shelf for two years and then they, they shape it to the shape they need to make it, or are you involved in the shaping as well? When I first started this, I, I thought that business model might work, which would be to provide, a, say, call it a standard blank to a physician mm-hmm. and and have them be able to custom make that for any patient they wanted. 
But it turned out that once we got into this and started doing it, uh, these things are so delicate and so small that we're they really can't work like that. So we we from from an eye bank we get the uh, whole cornea, and then we take it and we precision machine it to the final implantable shape. And um, I mean, as I say, these are, these are they're they're so small that. Initially, in our initial packaging, we almost couldn't find them. That was the biggest problem uh, of delivering them. And you know what we're striving to is a, a really a no-touch, uh, no-touch lenticule, so that we're packaging it in such a way, and with the proper implantation tools, so that the physician doesn't really ever have to touch the lenticule any more than really just uh, transferring from the package to the. Uh, cornea. So when you're saying it's it's can sit on the shelf for two years, it's sitting on your shelf at Alatex, not on the shelf of the physician. You're not selling it to them. You're selling. You're giving them. You're selling them the final product. You're selling the final product, and it and it could sit on their shelf for two years. So you know, for for the presbyopia, um, they're basically standard sizes. For hyperopia, it's a little bit different because oh, okay. they tend to be more custom. Um, so initially, they initially we'd see them as more of a custom. Uh, custom operation. You know, the, pa- the physician would let us know that when the patient was coming in, we probably need a few week lead time, then deliver that for that special patient. But the presbyopia there, it's more like you know going to the drugstore for specs. We got a couple different sizes. Oh, all right, that will do it. I assumed it was uh, it was uh, um, specific, customized for each patient. So, okay, well that's uh, that, well that, that certainly simplifies the process <laughs> a great deal. Yep, so absolutely. So where are you in? Uh, in the development of that, uh, do you have some clinical trials planned? Uh, what, what, give us an update there. Well, we, we've done some initial cases, and I think probably in the order of uh, 15 to 20, just trying to uh, home in on the uh, home in on the the proper thickness and the proper shape. Um, and we'll we'll be continuing doing small numbers of patients again. Just uh, I guess I'd call them uh, targeting targeting uh, trials, but we have a uh, a large multi-center study, which we're starting in June in Europe, will be in six countries. We'll be in Ireland, UK, Belgium, Austria, France, and Switzerland. Uh, about 12 sites and looking to treat around 450 patients or so. And what are the, uh, what are the restrictions like or, or the regulatory oversight like for, uh, for a natural human corneal tissue product? Is it, are the barriers higher or are they, are they lower? Well, they're, they're no, they're not higher. They're uh, we're, this is a little something unusual that we're doing. So it's uh, uh, you know kind of treading a little new ground. But we're operating really in most countries operating under under tissue regulations. So, um, but nonetheless, we still have to the, the doing the study. It's very similar to doing a device study. All you know, all the all the processes are all pretty much the same. Uh, so it's it's pretty much equivalent to a device study. And for the studies, you're doing the same. You're going to send. You're going to craft all the lenses at at Alatex and send them to them uh, as a finished product. There's no correct. No yes, touch correct. Over there. So right. uh, how are you? Uh, how are you capitalized? You know, as, as you probably noticed, we sent a, had a press release come out uh, a week or so ago where we actually raised our our first uh, external round of capital. Uh, which is, you know, a sufficient amount of cash to um, get us really well through the uh, clinical trials that we're that we're planning over in Europe. And you raise the capital, I understand, from a strategic investor. 
Uh, right. We, can we get any more specific than that? No, I can't really. As you mentioned, sometimes that information can be a little sensitive. So the at the moment, the strategic investor would, you know, prefer it to be uh, not identified. I think the the uh, you know my my approach to financing with this really for the first couple of years was to um, finance it myself and uh, look for a look for a strategic investor to be interested. I think you know the the other inlay companies that uh, you know have been out there for a couple of years really you know alerted people to the potential of the potential of the market. So when I looked at forming this company and moving it forward, I thought. You know the the best way to do that was to, you know, spend the money and show that we could actually make the, make the thing, and that at some point, you know, a, a strategic investor would be interested in, um, you know, working with us because I think that's you know, as you know, in any small company in ophthalmology, we all hope that uh, you know one day we find a home with strategic, and I just tried to my idea was to. Uh, you know, we work with strategists to find out who might be interested to really, you know, join early rather than later. Now let's take a quick break from this conversation with Dave Muller to tell you to keep an eye out for an email regarding a masterclass we'll be hosting on April 13th, the day after OIS at ASCRS. The theme, the focus will be on the FDA. We have uh, details about speakers and discussions and topics coming up. And they'll all be in the email that we'll send directly to you. So do keep your eyes peeled for some details about a masterclass happening on April 13th following OIS at ASCRS. Now let's get back into this conversation with Dave Muller. Well, let's let's talk about the, the landscape. You did a, a Companies to Watch presentation, which we'll, uh, we'll try to include in, in this week's uh, OIS weekly newsletter. And we'll, we'll certainly have up on OIS.net. It's been up there already and has uh, has uh, seen a lot of action um people are clearly interested in what you're doing but this space overall uh has seen some change over the last month or so as i suggested up at the top of the the podcast uh we had the news from uh, from revision regarding the raindrop and then just most recently we had the news that acufocus was selling the camera to uh to site life so it's uh the, the the ground is changing a bit what is your uh what is your perspective of that? Because you mentioned both those products in your, uh, your presentation. Well, I think the, uh, I, th- I think they, both of those companies, I think alerted the, alerted the ophthalmology world and the business world to the fact that there was a real market for, um, for an inlay that could possibly, uh, treat presbyopia. And I think the clinical results, I think, you know, the visual results, I think that that were observed from, you know, both, both products, I would say probably maybe, you know, biased, maybe a little bit more towards RVO that the patient satisfaction of the visual quality seems high. Um, I mean, the feedback that I was generally hearing was, I think that the, um, that the, the patients required a little bit more maintenance than uh, doctors initially expected. And on you know, on a, a basis of do I do this procedure or not, it didn't seem to be uh, catching on like uh, like either of the companies were hoping. I mean, I think that was pretty much in the RBO press release that it wasn't taking off as fast as they hoped. It was going to cost another fifty million to get there, so they called it a day. Um, so I, I think, you know, I you know personally, I think that the uh, uh, synthetic was probably a, a 
tough road to uh, tough road to travel. I mean, I've been in ophthalmology since you know probably you know '87 or something crazy like that, and I think it's always been the standard mantra that the cornea doesn't want synthetics in it. It was you know, this, and so I think you know both uh, AccuFocus and Revision and now uh, Prespia, you know, really gave it a good shot at get something that would stay in there a lot longer than people thought. But I think, you know, it's a, it's it's not a zero perturbation having a uh, synthetic in the cornea, and but having cornea in cornea is pretty much a uh, zero perturbation. So I, I think that, you know, it's uh, they they did a good job of setting the table, but I don't think. You know, on a, on a one-to-one comparison, an allograph, I think it's always going to be better than a synthetic for whatever you might be doing in the eye, whether it's treating keratoconus or treating presbyopia. Did, did the timing of that news have anything at all to do with uh, with your financing? Or is it just a coincidence this all happened with a span, within a span yeah, of three just, weeks or so? Yeah, just a coincidence. Okay. I have all nothing right. to do with it. Yeah. And, and I know you're not going to... Uh, Reveal who the investor is, but I'm just curious. Did you did you consider venture investors? It's not it's unusual to go to strategic directly. Uh, how did you settle upon this this financing path? Well, I think it was the uh, um, you know fortunately I was able to you know fund a significant portion of it myself, so I was able to you know really you know skip the uh, uh, I guess with that skip the angel phase so to speak, and. You know, I, I think that you know, I was you know, really my own angel, as it were, and I think it, I think you know allowed me to bring it along in a in a way that uh, you know could make it attractive enough to a uh, to a strategic to invest. I mean, you know, the you know RBO had uh, strategic investments in there. JJDC was uh, you know investor in that company, um, and so you know, it's not it's not unknown to get strategic investors at different phases. And I just thought that, you know, I could keep funding it until I found a strategic to fund it to, uh, the one to jump in. And I was you know, fortunate enough to be able to do that. Is it uh, enough financing that you may not need to go out again, or is this really just enough to get you through the European clinical trials and then we'll see where we're at? Yeah, I think it's the, uh, probably the latter, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's, it's plenty of money to get us through the trials and, and further, you know, the European trials won't cost that much. So it's, uh, it's, it's enough cash to you know bring the company to uh you know a very good you know good level of uh exposure i would say and also you know being able to generate significant clinical data and then we'll see where it goes from there so just to to make sure i'm clear the the news from uh RVO and in regarding camera uh being sold by AccuFocus do you see that as any uh nothing's ever you never want to see a, a product not do well but do you Great. see it as a positive um uh, a positive sign for your approach, uh, or do you, did it create problems for you? And, and do you anticipate it might create some uh, some turbulence for you going forward? No, I think it was uh, I think it was fairly neutral to me. I think the uh, you know I, the you know one always likes one's own product, right? If we wouldn't we wouldn't do something <laughs> if we thought we weren't we, we better, better yeah. than the next. <laughs> uh, you know, so my view had been that you know however it moved forward, that ultimately. Um, allographs were going to outshine uh, any of the synthetics that were in there. Um, so, you know, clearly not wishing anybody any bad luck on the, you know, it's tough enough to build a company without your competitors wishing you bad luck. So I wasn't doing that. But I don't think that it really, you know, overall, I don't I don't think it affects 
our approach one way or the other. You know, physicians or ophthalmologists will make their own choice as to, uh, you know, what they want. And I think that RVO did a good job of alerting people to the potential of what's going on. And I think, you know, AccuFocus addresses a you know, more specialized segment of the market, I think. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think it's, uh, you know, we're really, really very neutral to um, neutral to whether they were going to still be in the market or not. Great. And, and just to, I'm sure a lot of people listening to this podcast know the answer to this question, but I'm curious, how, how does, when, when an implant um, isn't um, accepted by the eye, what is, what is, what, what, what happens? Does it have to be removed? Is there, uh, is there medicine that needs to be applied? Is it, uh, what, what, what is the, uh, mean, okay. when, when, ours, are, ours are theirs. <laughs> theirs, yours, yours are not going to have a yeah. problem. So you tell me, right. but, but the artificial, well, I mean, that, I, I, when there is a problem, what I does that problem we, look like? Well, I, I think what we saw, the, the problems that I think that were found were annoying to ophthalmologists were, uh, you know, long-term, long-term steroid use to you know, knock inflation, inflammation down and, you know, any kind of, you know, um, immune reaction. So typically the patients on the synthetics were, you know, long-term steroid users. And it also, again, from what, you know, what I was understood from talking to people that use things is that, when the tissue is removed, uh, it's not quite native. You know, the, there was enough impact on the cornea from the uh, uh, from the implant being in there, so that when it was taken out, it wasn't actually back to where it was before. And so, you know, if you look at our corneas, if you kind of think about, um, you know, for instance, we're doing an inlay, uh, you know, an inlay for presbyopia, right? so that inlay. We're putting that in under a 100 or 120 micron flap, so it's right at the surface. You know, unlike the sort of the, the very deep inlays that the other companies are doing. But you know, reflect on what we're doing. If you if you think of what, what what's with LASIK, you've actually, you know, the top is really off the eye. The hinge is only a kind of a memory there, and yet the cornea is really happy to have this piece piece of tissue drop back down in the eye, and it sits there happily for, for you know, for years forever, we think. And so, you know, by inserting this uh, small little, you know, whisper of uh, tissue in there, um, the eyes basically looks at that like it looks like the, as the uh, LASIK flap coming back down. It's just one little piece of tissue there. And we've had, you know, already these early cases, you know, as we're learning to put them on, we had one case where the, where the uh, lenticule was uh, put off axis. And so we opened the LASIK flap back up took the lenticule, moved it over, put it back in axis and closed it down. Everything's okay. And so it's, uh, you know, it's really more like a, a mini LASIK cap that we're dealing with. And so it, we don't, we're not generating, when it, you know, when it, comes out, when it comes out, just like when you take a LASIK cap off, the cornea doesn't recognize that something happened or we don't, you know, we don't have the long-term results in that. We have no reason to believe that it will. It shouldn't be any different than putting the LASIK cap back on. So I think, again, I was sort of long-winded, but I think, the, the, as I say, the, the, the big things I heard were the you know, long-term steroid use and the problem that when they came out, it wasn't quite like uh, it was when it went in. All right. Well, my progressive lenses are not impressing me, so I'm going to uh, track your progress. <laughs> well, I'm, I, I'm lining myself up for I'm a hyperopic presbyope, and 
you know, I'm, I'm, I don't know. It's not going to be that far out when I'm going to try a hyperopic presbyopic onlay on me. That's <laughs> what happens. You know, I've got I've got the team here that's going to make my custom relation. That's the only, that's the only reason you're doing all of this, just to just to, to help <laughs> it's, yourself. That's a darn good reason. Man. It is a very good reason. All right, great. Well. Uh, uh, I, I saw this trick on it on all the president's men. So I'm going to list every strategic out there. And when I name the one that invests in you, just hang up the phone. How's that sound? Is that okay? <laughs> <laughs> it's not yeah. going to work, right? Okay. Didn't work in the yeah. movie either, so we'll just let it go. I, I think, as, you know, somebody asked me this question the other day, and I, and I think the best thing you can say is, you know, you, you could make a list of who the strategic investors are, and the answer is it's going to be one of them. <laughs> <laughs> Finally, I got you to say it. All right. We got that on the record. Yeah. Excellent. Well, Dave, thanks for joining us and for bringing us up to speed on uh, Alitex. All right. Thanks a lot, Tom. And that is a wrap. David Muller, great to connect with you again. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. As I said on the podcast, uh, Alitex was one of our companies to watch. We'll try to get that video on the OIS Weekly Newsletter, so it's sent directly to your inbox. If, uh, if it's not there, you can find it on OIS.net. And we'll also include a link on the podcast page. Before I let you go, podcast listeners, I just want to ask you to uh, give us a ranking on iTunes. Tell your friends about the podcast. Subscribe to the podcast. And of course, please, please, please reach out to me directly. I am on Twitter at MedTechTom. You can also reach us at OIS Tweets. Or you can email me, Tom, at HealthAG.com. That's the word health followed by the letters egy.com. Healthogy is the producer of the OIS podcast and all of the OIS events. Very happy to bring you those and uh, very happy to bring you this podcast. Thank you for joining us and don't forget April 12th in Washington, D.C. Join us for OIS at ASCRS. Go to ois.net to sign up and we'll see you in Washington, D.C.